Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back for episode seven of season one of This Osteopathic Life. This episode is recorded at the American Academy of Osteopathy's annual convocation. This is the annual meeting of my specialty college, an opportunity to gather, to learn, to practice different hands-on skills, to meet professionally and personally. And it's the first place I learned to gather and to draw from such a broad variety of perspectives, to see what's happening in different parts of the country, to meet people in the same stages of training. You know, we gather as students and as residents, as attendings, and we honor physicians who are coming to the end of their professional career. And it's always been a fun place to be. You know, it's a reunion of sorts. And always fascinating to me, after a dozen years of participating, how many people you know and where they might be. You know, I'm telling my own story of to and fro and travels, and it's always interesting to get to hear what's transpired for others. And so it feels suitable in this episode that we're wrapping up our exploration of the four tenets of osteopathic medicine, the guiding principles by which we practice. And if you've been with me in previous episodes, we've covered the first three, and today we'll speak of the fourth in a little greater depth, and I'll review them all here now. One, the body is a unit. The person is a unit of body, mind, and spirit. Two, the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. Three, structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. Four, rational treatment is based upon an understanding of the basic principles of body unity, self-regulation, and the interrelationship of structure and function. And if I had to, or if you're allowed to, pick a favorite, this one would be it, which seems like a gimme as it incorporates the other three. And certainly that's a good reason to choose it. And if you only had to pick one, using that one would be helpful, but it also requires that you are comfortable and you know, in the practice of thinking through and applying those first three and I appreciate it for reinforcing the quality and the merits of those first three principles by saying if we're only choosing four, four guiding principles to have the fourth one reinforce the first three says 
that they truly are the cornerstone. They are foundational building blocks, and we believe in them so strongly that we're going to reiterate them so that 25% of our core foundational philosophy is representation of the initial 75%. And so let's explore that, saying rational treatment is based upon an understanding of those first three. And to me, it's encouraging. You know, it's saying that if we can honestly and effectively say that we're operating through the lens of applying the concept of the body as a unit and the person as a unit of body, mind, and spirit, if we're honoring that capacity for the body to have self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance, and cognizant and aware of the interrelationship of structure and function, we are then able to create rational treatment. It doesn't guarantee that we have rational treatment. We still have to make a very conscious and conscientious and intentional decision, but it is the foundation on which we can operate. And there's two different ways that I find myself utilizing this concept. And one is from a vantage point of health, of seeing the positive, of seeing what's going well and building on that. And if we consider that and work through the three, we can see how it may lead us to a rational treatment plan. And if we, say, have a patient in front of us and we're taking their history, hearing their concerns, and looking for in their story what has worked well for them, and if we're thinking of them as a unit, all the systems in their body as a unit, of their unity of body, mind, and spirit, of their unity in community, as we talked about previously, in how they relate and are in communion with the people around them and their environment. And we see what's going well for them. And perhaps they have tremendous physical capacity. Maybe they're a very successful athlete in a balanced way. They haven't gone too extreme because certainly the extremes of fitness don't necessarily match ideal health. But they're consistent, you know, with physical training and, you know, they, they feel good about their body. So they have found success in that realm. And we think, why? You know, what about that has allowed them to manage their physical body well? Or perhaps they're struggling with mental health. And we can look at how we can extrapolate some of those positive principles with and for them and begin to utilize that to apply to the area that's not working so well. So in this way, we're emphasizing the health and honoring what's going well. Similarly, as we continue on with that patient and think this body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. And again, if they've maintained their health well in the physical aspect, but are struggling perhaps with mental health, looking at what their successes have been, do they undertake regular physical exercise, but they've also found a balance. So matching intensity of things, perhaps like cardiovascular endurance or strength training, but also looking when they need to be more restorative and focus on flexibility and honoring the body and resting the body, you know, finding that sweet spot between challenge and support to the physical body. Could they apply those maintenance habits or actions or activities 
to their mental health? You know, could they develop a mindfulness practice? Could they recognize when they've overstimulated themselves mentally and learn how to implement rest in that realm? So building on the health, building on their successes. And looking too at structure and function and their reciprocal interrelationship. You know, perhaps they've had some physical limitations and they have a way in their physical self of noting that you know something doesn't feel right if a muscle feels overworked or understretched and they're tuned into that and they can then apply you know adjustments to help function work better and I just want to make a point as I go through this I'm not separating separating out physical and mental health and again if we're looking at this unity concept but for the sake of the example and looking at how we might utilize these principles, I think it could be a useful tool. So by incorporating those first three from a vantage point of health, what is working well and can we emphasize that? I think that is one helpful way in which we can come through to that fourth principle and develop a rational treatment plan, hopefully with the patient, not necessarily for them, although people do need guidance. You know, I found that in running a gym where we had prescribed programming. And sometimes you think, is that oppressive? Do people want to have a say in their exercise plan? And perhaps to a degree, you know, they let you know when things come up too frequently or when a certain movement or discipline doesn't appear. But at the same time, that predictability and that knowledgeable provision of a plan is a lot of what they're seeking. And some of it is simply because we make so many decisions in a day, you know, from what to wear to what to eat to where to go and everything we have to undertake at work. And, you know, in this more modern age of parenting, are we doing everything right and taking in that data? So sometimes we just want to have direction. And I hope in medicine, you know, we've evolved to a place where that can be, you know, in partnership with the patient and with, you know, full consent in their understanding and not just simply do this, but this is my suggestion and why and why I think it would be beneficial. And with my athletes in the gym, there were times when I thought, I'll make it athlete's choice. And everyone was actually quite upset by that because they came to the gym to have that direction. And and I think developing that rational treatment certainly should come from from the physician or from the place of knowledge and experience and with a very clear why, you know, I think based on what I've heard in your story, what's working well for you and in my experience of working with patients, I think this will be the most helpful option for treatment. And let's apply some of those skills you've successfully developed for your physical health and see how we can apply them for your mental health to find greater success in that realm, bearing in mind that there's a direct connection you know, there's some buoyancy of physical health helping to support mental health. If you're having challenges there or utilizing those tools directly, and sometimes perhaps a detractor, you know, if we're good, you know, in the physical health, sometimes we contribute and expend all of our energy there because we see immediate returns and we know, you know, that's the muscle we can work the easiest and get great results. And I spoke last time about leaning into that ease, you know, finding the thing we're good at and emphasizing it. 
And I do believe that can be very helpful. But it's also, like anything, a balance and a fine line between when that's to the exclusion of other areas that probably need a little more attention because they don't come so natural to us. And especially when we're speaking of the balance of health of the body, mind, and spirit, you know, considering perhaps I'm overexpending my energy in one area because I know that I'm either not happy with how the health is in another region or that doesn't come naturally to me. But rather than ignoring it or running away from it or you know, telling ourselves we're just simply not good at that, let's look at the skills we do have, those natural areas of success, and see how we can just extrapolate them, shift them slightly, and apply them to that other area. And for me, you know, this example is pretty reflective. I was good at investing in my physical health, but then became overly invested in that. You know, I, I used exercise too much. And it takes you to a point, again, of diminishing returns and sometimes to the exclusion of building up strength in mental and spiritual health. And I was able for a time to track that in a subjective way, but in the most objective means you know, I had within that. And I kept a little pie chart in my daily journal. And I would keep a mind, body, spirit. So it was divided into three. And each day, give an assessment, you know, my opinion of how that day had gone and where I had expended the most energy. And you know, so I would have body for a long time was a much bigger portion of that wheel or a bigger piece of that pie. And at some point I paid for it. You know, I, I suffered an injury that didn't allow me to expend as much energy into the physical realm of myself and forced my hand at developing skills in the other two. And I'd say like anything, you know, prevention being the best medicine, if we can make that assessment sooner than later and begin to see when there's an imbalance in our support of any one of those categories, that we take some time, look at what we are good at, what we're experienced in, where where we are well versed in, you know, serving the health of the whole, and shift a little bit. And I will say that I felt a little strange at times, thinking, you know, is this limited? Can I practice abundance? You know, just taking more energy for one, take away from the others, and. You know, there are different mindsets you could have, but for me, it was a good, quick, and easy visual to say, oh, wow, you know, I, I spent so much time in the gym today. I didn't make any space, you know, for meditation or mindfulness, you know, or kind of spiritual rejuvenation. And it's helped me, and it's still a work in practice. I'm certainly not there yet, and maybe we're never there, but, you know, I'm, I'm more clearly on the path to achieving a better balance. Uh, between reinforcing and nourishing all three of those more effectively in a more balanced fashion. So that from the health and from the positive is one way to consider this. I think the opposite is the opposite, is to do the inverse and look at what's not working well, really dig into the why. And I want to pause here for a moment and share kind of a struggle I've had going between these two philosophies. So one cornerstone in osteopathic medicine, you and know, Dr. Still pointed out, is the role of the physician to find the health. Anyone can find disease. 
you know, it's easy and it's common. And for me, my whole life, it's always, it didn't go so well and to see what's not working. And, you know, on a report card full of A's, I would see the A minus and think, oh, you know, why didn't that go well? And in some ways I could justify that and say, that's great because, you know, if the other ones went well, they went well. And this one, why, you know, and what could I do better next time? But I think it's also important to balance that against why did those all go well, you know, and that's a success and an achievement to allow yourself to sit in that a little bit longer than I think a lot of us do in modern society. Um, and, you know, let's celebrate our victory, celebrate the health that is being expressed fully within ourselves and within our patients and within our communities. But I think if we apply the opposite in that concept of why didn't that go well? Why isn't that work? Excuse me, working as well as we might hope. If we're able to effectively delve into the why, I, th- I do believe we're still being true to the core philosophy. You know, I'm honoring that grand design and the fullest capacity of that person. So I think if we apply it consciously and with intention, flipping the script and running through all three of these as we move toward the development of a rational treatment plan from the perspective of that didn't seem to be going as well as I'd hoped, what's limiting it can still be a useful, effective, and osteopathic means of approach. So same example of the person. The body is a unit. The person is a unit, body, mind, and spirit. If we say of those, it seems that the expression of mental health and that component of their whole self is not being expressed as fully. And why? And what's standing in the way of that? Is it simply that lack of dedication of time you know, to restoration and support and training, you know, thinking of all of these as muscles, you know, if we let that one atrophy, if we haven't recognized that, we need to give a little more support and attention to that aspect. Can we then look at what has been going well for the other pieces and apply that? And in honoring the body as capable of self-regulation, self-healing and health maintenance, if we're not maintaining in this case, mental health well. Why is that? What's interrupting it? Because we are still honoring that the grand design means they're fully capable of true and complete expression of health, noting that that looks different for each person. And we're all on kind of our own place in the spectrum of health and at different times in our lives and with different exposures and experiences and expectations and so not trying to impose what we think, you know, perfect health should be, but getting clear with the patient and what that is for them, you know, where they are now, where they hope to be, and can we help them connect those two points? And perhaps even just highlighting, you know, this isn't the fullest expression of health for you by your expectation. We sometimes allow ourselves to look away and say, well, maybe this is as good as it gets. You know, I'm just older now or... Um, I've been in this relation long enough, relationship long enough that this is you know as best as I can expect from it. And perhaps allowing some perspective and saying, actually, no, no, you can ask for more and expect more, and let's build the skills to get there. 
And so if we're, you know, honoring that self-healing capacity and something has interrupted it, you know, either focus or life experience or an injury, um, can we remove some of those barriers and get back on track fully expressing all aspects of their health, including the mental health, that that's the area that's been struggling for that person. Looking at the relationship of structure and function, you know, sometimes we have to go back to basics and mechanics. And is there something, you know, that mechanically has interrupted that full expression? Was there a closed head injury? You know, was there even just some dental work that shifted the balance in their or that lining around the brain and spinal cord that doesn't support the best optimal function of their hormonal axis or the neurotransmitters as they're moving about you know, the brain and facilitating connections. And can that have some support you know, to be better aligned? And this may be where we utilize that tool of osteopathic manipulative treatment to support the patient. And so we move through these three again, you know, looking at all of them, looking at them in concert, allowing us to develop a rational treatment plan, again, ideally with the patient, perhaps for them, if they are in a place where they need more direction, grounded in the why, you know, with an explanation of why we've come to these conclusions or beginnings, you know, a treatment plan. It's not necessarily a conclusion, it's a summation, perhaps, you know, of what we're hearing in the story and in the exam and, you know, in the history. And then it's a beginning, you know, it's a roadmap that we're likely going to adjust as we move through and as different parts of this get better and other pieces are revealed. You know, oftentimes when a patient is addressing their health concerns and have, you know, been suffering in certain ways... As pieces get better, it more often than not, in my experience, reveals other places of concern and that might have always been there and actually might have been of a great concern to the patient, but they you know, ignored them or they minimized them because they had to get through this other. And you know, we're creatures of survival, so our body will send its focus you know, to what it perceives to be the most life-threatening, you know, and that can be physiological. Certainly, if we're having crashing or extremely elevated blood sugars, we're going to go to that, you know, before we start to address sleep concerns or, you know, depression even. And it's not really for us to say which really holds the most priority. There are certainly moments acutely, and the body has inherent intelligence that, you know, blood pressure and blood sugar regulation are acutely important and that's where all the energy will be expended and once that's in better balance you know we have a better handle on that we've made lifestyle changes or we've applied appropriate medications then there's space you know there's a little breathing room there's an ability to start to delve into other regions and for me many patients present for pain complaints and you know low back pain might be their primary reason for engagement and seeking consultation and evaluation and once that's better, they can say, actually, I've had a headache every day of my life for as long as I can remember. Um, but because the back pain was so acute for them or you know, limited their function in a very different way, you know, they couldn't you know, move and pick up their children or do their tasks for work because of the back pain. And once that's improved, 
the headache, which may be just as debilitating, you know, but didn't overly seem so in their daily tasks, has a chance to be seen and heard and listened to and treated. And can we do both at once? You might ideally, in a perfect world, treating the low back pain helps with the headache. But if the headache isn't necessarily mechanical and related to that pelvic imbalance that throws off their whole, you know, postural mechanism, perhaps it is due to, you know, stress or diet exposure or something else that we can now send our focus on is allowing us to keep evolving that treatment plan. So while it can be seen as a conclusion, you know, a concluding statement, I think of it as a summation in a launch pad, you know, forward into the next evolution, the next step on that spectrum of health for the patient. Certainly I'm talking about these currently in the context of assessment and evaluation and treatment of a patient. And I'm speaking to my physician colleagues, DOs or MDs, other health professionals who might be listening. Of course, I find these to be really useful ways to underscore the practice of medicine, you know, to be those foundational principles and philosophies and guideposts that bring us back on track. And I would encourage you to examine in my practice and in how I'm working with patients and supporting them, am I utilizing these? Could I do so more effectively? And for others who are listening, you know, general population, seeing how you could apply them to your own life. And you could apply them to a health concern very directly. You know, if you're experiencing pain or imbalance or you've you know just been placed on this new medication and you don't necessarily want to be. And, you know, ideally we can achieve things through lifestyle modification, but there are some situations, you know, where we do need support and it's good that we've had these innovations in medicine and just using them judiciously and consciously and conscientiously and with great intention. But perhaps you want to take an assessment and say, you know, have I been approaching my life through this lens, you know, of honoring the unity within my body, of my body to my mind and to my spirit? Have I, you know, honored or even acknowledged the fact that I am fully capable? I have all the skills and tools inside me to achieve self-healing and self-regulation and health maintenance, but they could certainly be interrupted you know, by life experience and exposures. And, you know, there can be challenges in, you know, expression of genes. We've talked earlier about epigenetics in previous episodes and, you know, turning them on and off, which my hope is that we do approach it from that possibility standpoint of, you know, if we can influence them, how can we do so for the positive? How can we tap into those true inherent capacities? Do I notice the relationship of structure and function in my life? Again, within, if we're talking about somatic or you know complaints within the body or between ourselves and the world in relationships and you know in community, at work, you know, where is the structure there not supporting appropriate function or where is the function wearing away at the structure? Can we find a better balance there? So we can certainly use these guideposts in our personal lives you know, to help us get back on track. And, you know, I like to think of a lighthouse in the example. And I've been, I was on the West Coast um, in California 
last weekend and I'm living in northern Michigan where there are so many beautiful lighthouses and I so appreciate them you know, for that beacon and for that rotational beacon. You know, it's not always right in your face when you're out at sea, you're out on the big lake. You know, you're getting this light periodically. It's a touch point, so it doesn't even have to be overt, but it should be at a fairly regular frequency that we kind of do an inventory, perform an inventory and say, is this how I'm guiding, you know, myself and my life and my practice? And... You know, if we're not able to see that light from the shore, you know, trying to get back on course. And sometimes we have to do that without visualization. You know, if it's really foggy, you have to make those adjustments, you know, based on the map and coordinates and you know, other means of anchoring. And so having good resources as to what brings us back to shore you know, maybe that's a colleague to reflect back to us. Maybe it's an SOS call and say, you know, I've lost my way and I can no longer see the lights. Remind me again, what are these principles? How am I applying them? What's going to help get me back on track, back on course? And knowing that we're all going to take a different path back to the shore. You know, we can see that lighthouse from a very wide variety of areas out in the water um, and it'll bring us all back to the same point. But we might get there on a very different vessel, you know, sailboats and cruise ships and, you know, kite boarders are all using the same reference point to draw them back to shore. Um, but they often see it from a different vantage point, you know, when you're right there, just you in the water, you know, if you're a kite surfer versus this huge ship, if you're a cruise ship or a freighter even, you know, you're making your journey in your own way at your own rate and are more or less vulnerable to the turbulence, you know, of the path. And in those, you know, the one going solo is the most subject to the tumultuousness of the waters. You know, a storm on Lake Michigan is much more threatening to the kite surfer than to the ferries that are able to transport folks in vehicles and semis, you know, from Wisconsin to Michigan. And I'm not saying one way is right or wrong, but if we're looking for resiliency and robustness, you know, the the ferry is able to weather the storm. So that to me speaks to the fact that we have connection and support and, you know, we're not alone in that journey, we're a little better able to manage the waves. And certainly you can make the journey solo. People have, but if we're able to bolster those resources and lean on each other a bit, you know, perhaps we can make the journey with a little less motion sickness. And so I'd encourage us, physicians, patients, you know, whatever stage we are in our practice, professionally or personally, to remember these foundational principles and to broaden their application and to challenge ourselves to use them in concert. Kind of like that Venn diagram. If we can find that sweet spot where they're all effectively overlapping, we can say, yes, you know, we are considering all of them as we develop, you know, this treatment plan, as we, you know, move through that inertia of initiation and, you know, start into this next phase we will have 
better outcomes and better opportunities. This is The Sociopathic Life and Dr. Amelia Beakey. Thank you for listening.